1: son said to me, I'd like to just go back to this one exhibit and look at it a little bit more in detail and it was an exhibit that tries to explain how after the flood, the animals repopulated the earth I don't really buy into young earth creationism but I know that I'm supposed to be a good homeschool mom and like direct him this way, can't you see how that could work? No, this doesn't make any sense to me, no my son is like my hero.
2: It's a wonderful chaos. Do
0: random, messy and glorious. Solo or tandem. We work to
2: find
1: rest, we fight to find peace. Both head and
2: the heart. Like a you and beast. What are we doing here? You mean, listening to
1: this show?
0: Where the more that you learn is the less that you know. Where the wounded are healed.
2: And the atheists pray?
0: It's a wonderful chaos. It's like it down way chaos and we like it that way
2: it's
0: a wonderful chaos. and we like it that way it's a so chaos. today we have a very special guest uh we have leah helbling on and leah came to us from our dear dear friend Cass midgley from everyone's agnostic and Cass, i asked him who are some of your favorite guests that we want to bring on to the show and he said, you've got to bring Leah on. So that's how we got to Leah. And we're going to talk to her about how her 12-year-old son convinced her to leave the evangelical church.
2: How do we always bring people in connection with religion?
0: You know, the one thing I think is beautiful about A Wonderful Chaos is that we often don't really decide. We ask people that we love and care about to sort of introduce us to people they think would be really good for the show. Yeah. And um, and what I'm finding is a lot of people somehow have a similar message as they come out of the church and they've basically uh, shared that story of what they had to go through. And and, and I think this, it's kind of interesting because I think the social pressure of church is so great in certain parts of the world that to leave the church is a really big deal. Like for me... As a kid, you know, I used to tell my mom that I was going to go to church on Sunday and I went to watch World Wrestling Federation. And she knew I was going to watch World Wrestling Federation at my friend's house. But the thing is, is like, as long as we kept the illusion alive, it was okay. As, uh, as we've spoken to a lot of guests, they've had to go through a lot of turmoil to leave the church
2: mm-hmm. and,
0: uh, and had different experiences. And, and the reason why this story for me was so interesting was because in late Leah's story, It's a quality that we talk about on the show a lot. And it's something that I I must say I live in deep admiration of. And it's the admiration of uh, holding your beliefs lightly. So how do we go through life where we have really strong ideas of what we want and how we want it? And at the same time, allow ourselves the the ability to hold lightly. You know, I always say, take seriously,
2: hold lightly. And, and within that frame, you there's a spaciousness to explore and even explore other perspectives and ideas. Yeah. 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 And, and,
0: and, and I think when people do that, it speaks so much to their character because in some ways, once we get uh, indoctrinated into us one way of thinking and then we no longer will experience any other way of thinking, we sort of, as far as I'm concerned, we're sort of already, uh, uh, how would you say, we are kind of lost the passion almost to grow. Because if it doesn't reaffirm what I think I already know, then I'm not growing anymore. I'm only taking in affirmative affirmative information that, that, that supports my belief. And then when she told me in our kind of pre-setup pre, uh, for this show yes. that it was her 12-year-old son that, that was the one who, was, who precipitated her leaving the church, that was like another blow of my mind. Because I thought, think about it, like in some weird ways, the simplicity and the ease with which a child looks at the world, you could say that they see things far clearer than we adults who create all of these weird constructs to make sense of stuff, you know? And, and, and so I thought, wow, so she's allowing herself to be influenced from her 12 year old and then rediscover whatever she thinks reality is. And I just, I just, my heart opened up when I, when I, uh, when I thought about that.
2: Yeah. What's coming up for me though as you're speaking and you're saying things like, yeah, I want to celebrate the 12-year-old, but in a way, I also want to make clear that there is no right or wrong in in being in the religion or not being in the religion. Sure.
0: But why do you say that now? Because I don't well, have uh, that in my just,
2: mind at all. I think it's the way you phrased it. My brain was like, oh, it's it's a good thing that this happened. But I guess it has. It, I, I want to also contextualize it. Okay, and I, so, and I have yeah. no idea what the context was in this case.
0: Well, the context for me is only that an individual is allowing themselves to be influenced so that they can rediscover what reality is. So, but nice point. Like, I think one of the things is is we're not here to bash religion. For for me or for you, I don't think I have had any negative experience. I see it serves a purpose for many, and I think that's great. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, I think that religion like any belief if we allow ourselves to be influenced by others and to rethink whatever we've come to believe that's that speaks to an individual so that's more of what I was uh, f- uh focusing on uh, for especially for this show
2: nice yeah thanks for the clarity yeah I mean I come from Cyprus and uh, I I would I would pretty much get beaten if I didn't go to church Wow church church was really a, a big thing growing up Mm. And I even had to go to Sunday school. Oh, my God. And as a child, um, that was scary. <laughs>
0: I didn't know you actually did all that. That's amazing.
2: Yeah. Well, the thing is, because we introduced 12 year old, my brain linked it. Oh, uh, between the ages of nine and 12, 13, I went to Sunday school.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I had to go to Sunday school as well, by the way. And then I went to my first communion at 13, right? I still have the pictures with me dressed in the white suit and stuff.
2: Oh, God. I'd love to see that. The, the funny thing is, though, I always had a very very difficult time learning things mm. if, if I couldn't embody them. So the idea that I had to learn passages and recite yeah. them, I, I just I had such a hard time. It was really... Uh, I I used to cry because I couldn't understand and I couldn't learn.
0: Well, I think it would be great to bring Leah on now. There she is. Hello.
1: Good afternoon.
0: So, how does it feel to be admired by two people you barely know?
1: Great. I love admiration from strangers. Nice. Yeah, it builds my confidence
0: and my security. did anything in the introduction we say uh, not connect with your experience or what?
1: oh my gosh. I mean, this is still such an emotionally charged part of my life that I, you know you guys are sharing I you know tears well up in my eyes. I struggle with the – continue to struggle with the welcoming and the being okay with religion in our society because, like, for me personally, it caused a lot of harm mm. in my own life, to my own psyche, to my family, to my children, and still to this day amongst our family situation and relationships. And so so I struggle with allowing people to think not think crit- think critically, and to be set in their ways and to be unwilling to ask the questions that we challenged our kids to ask when they were young, and so it's it's difficult for me because I believe faith often, especially in the evangelical church or evangelical Catholicism or evangelical anything, it really um, is the enemy to open and honest questions, right? To like be willing and able to like ask all those questions about what it is you believe to be true about how the world works. If you can't even ask those questions about the worldview that you hold, that's problematic. And unfortunately, um, in a lot of church traditions, that is the status quo. You can't start asking or start reading books or listening to podcasts or watching debates where there are people who think differently than you, because that is a door that can open you up to demonic influences or, you know, and you're heading down that that road down into deconstruction, which is true. Like somehow they know uh, that that's what's going to happen. So they try to keep the lock on those doors and don't want you to enter in, because that is oftentimes what does end up happening. And it's what happened in in my family situation.
2: Wow. So, Leah, my question is, like, I I don't know if I want to address the 12-year-old Leah or to start talking about your 12-year-old son. Hmm. Uh, In in a way, I'm curious, what was your journey up to that point as how did you relate to religion? How how did it play a part in your life?
1: So I actually grew up, my parents were kind of old-world hippies. There was no religion in my family of origin. But my father's parents, my paternal grandparents, were super religious folks. Mm -hmm. And my dad was kind of the black sheep of his family because he did not buy into the, you know, that worldview. But we spent a lot of time at my grandparents' house. They owned a farm about five miles away from where I lived. And we would go up there and work the gardens and hang out with the animals. And my family... My my parents' home with them was very chaotic. My parents had a very difficult relationship. There was lots of angry yelling and um, not a peace-filled environment. But my grandparents' home, when I was a child, I thought it had that peace somehow. You know, we would go up there. We would hang out, have family dinners. We would read the Bible after dinner together around the table we would pray before bedtime and we would sing songs and there was just this peace that I felt there, you know, and I associated that as a child to having something to do with their religion. And so then as I went off to college, I went to a Christian college on a basketball scholarship and was now surrounded like every corner by religious folks, you know, my roommates, my sweet mates, my basketball coach. I was just in this sphere of all religious folks, but, and, but that was not me. So I chose religion that freshman year of college and uh, thought that it answered a lot of those questions for me, made a lot of sense at the time up until I started thinking critically about it. But um, And I was the kind of person who, um, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it with both feet, you know? the right way. None of this lukewarm shit, like we're all in and that was me and just kept getting all in and deeper and deeper into it, Um, especially when I had children, you know, because I had to raise them in the right way that they needed to go so they would not part from the truth. And so, um, yeah, every year it just got deeper and deeper and more serious about my faith because I believe that's what I was supposed to do as a Christian. Homeschool mom and a Christian wife and a leader in the church. Um, I had to become holy and perfect so that I could lead those under my my flock. You know.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because if I hear you, in some ways, it's kind of I, I see there's that formative years when you go off to college and you're just starting to form an identity and you want to belong. And I I I can identify because I know that in my my own uh, journey mm. and. Uh, and what, what I find fascinating is that when you, um, when you adopted this this identity, and I'm assuming that you also created a network of people around you who reaffirmed that identity, for so sure. it must have been doubly as hard to start to unwind that, because to mm-hmm. some degree, you're not only identified by what you choose to believe, but by the individuals you surround yourself that share those beliefs.
1: Oh, for sure. We yeah. were completely swimming in the evangelical waters. <laughs> um as a young family you know we had our our church circles and then we chose to homeschool our children so then we had our home very conservative evangelical homeschool circles Mm. and um yeah we were pretty much surrounded with folks who thought similarly to how we thought and and raised their children in a similar similar way and yet you know we homeschooled but this is kind of where my my parental homeschool hippie Folks that 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 raised me kind of came into to affect our lives is like we were homeschoolers, but we were eclectic unschoolers, which meant that we allowed our children to kind of pursue their education on their own. Mm. You know, like what do they want? What do you want to learn about? You know, like like dive in deep to that. Like we didn't have a set Christian curriculum that they were having to follow. Like we because I firmly believe that if what I believe was the truth, if Christianity as I believed it was true, we could ask all of the questions and it would still come up as being truth. And so I had no qualms whatsoever about allowing my kids to be critical thinkers because I was so convinced that this Christianity thing was true.
0: It would withstand whatever they came to you Exactly. With. By the way, one thing that baffles me as you speak, because we'll get to your son, because that that fascinates me, of course. But the fact is, you got together with your husband who was also evangelical. Now, that's got to be insane because in one weird way, <laughs> you just it's like I've always said when you join a relationship, you kind of share values. And then the journey you take as each individual kind of grows and then you just don't know if you still share the same values. So how is it to like be in the relationship and join in this sort of mutual religious shared Uh, vision, and then have that to sort of start to pull apart.
1: Yeah, it's been tough. It's been really tough. When we first met in college, um, he was a Catholic, and I was right. My grandparents, the evangelical Baptists, told me Catholics were not true Christians, you know, when I was a kid. So he was a Catholic who actually, his family actually read the Bible and, like, did biblical studies, and so I was drawn to him. And I mean, he was kind of a cute, sexy guy, too, but I wasn't supposed to be thinking along those lines. But but we, we were able to really make that work well. He's not so serious about his faith and kind of never was. So I kind of took a lot of that lead for, like, mm-hmm. sending us deeper and deeper and down the evangelical tunnels. Um, but he actually deconverted from religion before I did. He was the one, when my son first started questioning, was able to not be intimidated by the questions that my son was asking. He was able to show up fully for my son and to treat him with loving kindness and respect. And so before too long, he too f- claimed to be a non-believer. You know, like shortly after he started listening to the same podcast and reading the same books that my son was recommending that he read. And it was less than a year later where I was calling him out for failing to be a quality Christian husband and leading our family. And he he finally said to me, Leah, I can't do these things that you want me to do. I can't do them. I don't believe this anymore. And so now I was like, holy shit. Now my son has left. My husband has left. And I had this martyr complex where now I was ultimately the one responsible for leading our family, leading them back to Christ and continuing to raise my children and my girls in the church so that they would not leave the faith. So it was it was real rough going for a long time. We're still we're still struggling to this day. But but, but, um, but
0: what? So by the way, first of all, like I would have assumed you were the one to to go out first, so that's that's quite amazing to start I with. wish. I wish exactly. I could call. I wish. But when you said you're still having troubles, I can't understand why you still have troubles because it, it feels like you made it through so much, so where are you still having troubles?
1: Well, one of the pieces for me is trying to become that good Christian wife, that Proverbs 31 woman, is that I relinquished all of these pieces of myself, my autonomy, my, my sexuality, my strong personality, my ability to speak up for what I believe to be true, like I relinquished those pieces of myself to become what I thought at the time was a better Christian mom and wife. And so I've had to take back piece, those pieces. I'm claiming them as my own wow. again, and I'm returning, attempting to return to that. But, you know, we we were married for 20 years with me at, continuing to be that subservient subservient woman. And so it's been a little bit challenging, you know, from I went back to college and I just started working full time for the first time in the last six months. And so there's all these things, you know, money and authority and who makes the decisions in our house and um you know, and even, even like sexuality and relationships, you know, like like that's that's something that I've discovered that there's a lot of these polyamorous relationships with people who are not in the church and that's something that I've talked about being interested in pursuing and my husband is like, "Nope, absolutely not. It's you and me, one man, one woman." And so those are the kinds of things that we're we're struggling through still, but I don't know how it, we would be doing if one of us was still in the church and the other out. I don't know how relationships survive that. That would be very, very gruesome, very difficult. I just,
0: as you speak, I just need to tell you, I love you. Like, I, I mean, you are just the sweetest person. Like, as and it's funny because I, I have no clue why Cass says, Andy, you got to have Leah on. But as you speak, I'm just like, wow, just... I just sit in deep gratitude for that journey because what I hear is this, um, and and I see this quality. I have a dear friend also who left the Mormon church Hmm. and he's speaking very similarly to you. We had him on the show as well, that it's almost like it sounds like you get to rediscover life and you're not putting boundaries in like you had before. So it's like, there's a weird, you know, and, and, and we often talk about the pendulum. If you've suppressed one thing like sexuality, then it's almost like now I want to go all the way to the other side and mm-hmm. have a full experience because I feel like I'd lost those years. But there's a, there's a beauty in your voice, and I hear it often when people start to explore without judgment. And that mm-hmm. was just, I just wanted to celebrate that. As Thank you. you. Yeah. yeah. It's a
1: beautiful space to be in, you know. But I kind of get pissed off at the church for, for like stealing that from me or for telling me that I wasn't good the way that I was when I was a 19 year old, yeah. you know? So like, I, like, that's a lot of years I've lost. Like I'm, you know, we're getting up there in age and it, and it, and it pisses me off. And I don't even think like, I don't even know. I just want to have the freedom to do the things that I want to do, you mm-hmm. know? And even if I end up not ever being involved in a polyamorous relationship, I want to have the freedom to choose yeah. for myself, how I want to live my life without yeah. anyone else telling me, Yeah, you know, it's not your business. It's not, it's my business. And yeah. So, yeah, I think
0: that's the free, that's the point actually on a lot of ways it's, you know, w- with Ronnie, my wife will speak very freely. Like, we get to talk about everything. There's nothing that we will limit about discussion. That doesn't mean we have to act on it, but we'll never suppress a feeling because then that becomes resentment Mm -hmm. at some point. So it it feels like you're balancing a little bit of this newfound freedom with how does this affect my partner who maybe is not not looking to uh, explore the same things I am. Right, right.
1: Months, yeah. Uh, and then trying to decide, right? Like, is this a relate? am I willing to be in a relationship with these boundaries? Are these the boundaries that I want to continue to be in relationship with yeah. or not? You know, yeah. and then I have the freedom to make that decision. And it's, yeah. and it's, it's hard. I have a ton of friends who have, who are no longer married, who have left the faith, you know, for one reason or another, like it just yeah. is hard to work out. And I don't know. I've been very fortunate in that I have a husband who's pretty, pretty bomb guy. You know, he's, he's amazing.
2: Yeah. I, I think we should have him on the next show.
0: Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Holding my wife through dramatic change. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Was, was there between you joining this college uh, uh, um, up until your uh, son talked to you, was there any moments where you would like, peek into another reality and then push it away?
1: Yes, constantly, regularly. The first, so I gave my life to Christ um, between my first and second semesters of college. So I was off on my own at this Christian college, got a DUI. I was not being a very good Christian at this Christian college before I chose Christ. I got a DUI. And um, the stress of all of that was just like eating me up. And I was like lying in bed one night and I just was feeling like such a shitty person, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm horrible. Um, and I cried out to God and I was like, God, if you're there, if you can just take this pain away and help me get through this situation, I will follow you all the days of my life. So I felt like my stomach pain, like that anxiety kind of whoop, went away. And so that was, that was the day I chose Christ. That next semester we had mandatory Bible chapel, like three days a week at this school. And during that semester um tony campolo who was a very famous evangelical preacher he's the guy that like um bill clinton called when he got into trouble with monica Lewinsky. he's the guy that got called to come help him with his spiritual life Mm -hmm. he was coming to speak at my college at chapel one day and i was like oh this is cool you know like um but there was all this controversy on campus because he was not the right kind of christian Right. He was like this left wing evangelical, like he was a social justice guy. And my campus was more right wing Republican yeah. campus leaning. And so there was and I didn't know I'm a new Christian. I don't know what the hell's going on. And there's this controversy on campus between my friends and my sweetmates about why are we letting this guy come speak on campus so that was kind of like i thought we were all on the same team like how can we be disagreeing about this kind of stuff so that was early on that was like two or three months after i became a christian um and then there were always you know when i would read my bible and study my bible and their requests there were like God like killing people, you know, commanding like genocides, or Jesus telling us to forsake our take our families and follow him. And I would take those questions to my to my leaders, whether it was a professor, whether that was a Sunday school teacher, whether that was a pastor, and I would ask these questions. And there were never quality answers that were given to me. You know, God we don't know. God is mysterious. We just don't know why. But we need to trust that He is good and And so I would just stuff those questions Mm. back down and, you know, until they would bubble up again the next time. And then Mm. um, and I struggled with um, the LGBTQ stuff. I have an aunt who is a lesbian and um, there was a time where she was getting married to her partner. Gay marriage had just been legalized in California and my mom was actually taking a trip out there and taking my son on this visit out there to visit her, my, her sister, my aunt. And then my aunt drops this bomb that she's getting married. And I'm like, um, my son can't go to that wedding. Like you can't take my son to that wedding that, I mean, because I, I really feared that there would be something that he was exposed to that would de- construct him or make him be gay too or whatever Mm. so my mom in her graciousness took my son and his cousins out on this trip but left before her sister got married and like looking back now i'm so appalled and i've apologized to both of them But so I hated the way that I, the church taught me to judge people who were different than myself. And so the LGBTQ community, you know, um, the black and brown folks, um, pro-life versus pro-choice people, like there were just all these things that I could not square in my head, but I just often, I
0: would just. Yeah, yeah, you find a way to park it because whatever it's giving you overall, you're still buying into yeah. yeah, you know, I remember when I was young, I always had a struggle. And it was a funny struggle, because I always thought to myself, so I was born Catholic, and you need to be Catholic in order to go to heaven. But there's all these people born in other places where they're in their own religions, and they didn't choose to be born there. They were just born there. They don't know of any. So now they don't get to go to heaven, because mm-hmm. they weren't born in a place where this religion, you know, mm-hmm. or, and it." kind of it always was so weird for me to think how is it that that we get to decide that this is the right one and all the other ones are the wrong ones where everyone else is saying the same right that was mm-hmm. a lingering dilemma for me from a very young age
2: yeah, yeah.
1: it doesn't yeah. make any sense
0: yeah i'd love to understand So you you touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to go into it a little bit. So what I understood is that you really did the unschooling. And when we say unschooling, I mean, I've done a lot of discussion around it. So it's basically allowing your child to discover on their own. And through that discovery, they'll guide their own learning. And when he now is going into this sort of questions, what kind of questions is he asking you? And how is it showing up? Like, did he one day come Mm -hmm. to you and say, hey, I just want to study religion or is it like, Hey, this said it in the Bible, and I don't understand how that works in real. Like, how did it evolve in the family? Hmm.
1: Well, about this time um, in our lives, the Creation Museum was opening up across the river. I live in Cincinnati, Ohio, and across the river is Kentucky. And uh, Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis Ministries were opening up this creation museum in Kentucky, about a half an hour from our house. And, you know, my husband was a school teacher. I was a stay at home. By the way, mom. sorry,
0: just help yeah. us because I don't know if Bambos, I, I know what the creation museum is. I don't know if Bambos does. Could you just share with him so that he also knows what you're talking about?
1: Sure. So, amongst evangelicals and definitely evangelical Christian families, there is this belief in young earth creationism that the earth is about 6,000 years old. And they believe that you should be interpreting the Bible literally from Genesis 1 1. If you're already questioning the Bible's um, literal ness at genesis 1 1 how in the world are you going to be able to believe any of the other things in the rest of the bible and so they really believe that the earth was created in six 24-hour days and then god rested on the seventh day so i was a biology major in college like i never bought into this stuff you know but in our homeschool communities this was this was huge Like if you were a good homeschool family, you believed in young earth creationism. Mm -hmm. And so here we are right across the river, we have the creation museum that, and it's like, it's this ginormous museum. It's like $37 million museum or something. Like it's not just some podunk little shed, you know, in Kentucky, like you would expect. And so part of their funding to build this place is they would ask for donations. And so a number of people at our church and in our communities would donate like a thousand dollars to this facility to be built. And so when you donated like as a lifetime member that thousand dollars, you got these passes that you could share with your friends and family, like as an evangelical tool. And so we were poor, you know, like I didn't work home, like we loved field trips, but it was often hard to find the money to go do field trips. So friends would offer us these passes like, hey, Leah, take the. Do you want to take the kids to the Creation Museum anytime soon? And it was a pretty dynamic place. There was a there's amazing fossil displays like they have this pretty cool planetarium. They it's kind of like a amusement park feel in some some means. They did a really nice job as they're trying to convert you to their belief in young Earth creationism. And so we would go there on field trips. And after one of these field trips, my son said to me the next day, he said, Hey, mom, can you and I go back there? Just the two of us without, we have younger kids in the family. And he's like, I'd like to just go back to this one exhibit and look at it a little bit more in detail. And I was like, yeah, sure. We'll figure that out. So, you know, that required finding um, babysitters for the girls and us, uh, so I don't know it, how long it was before we got back there. And he knew exactly where he wanted to go. So we went to this exhibit and it was an exhibit that tries to explain how after the flood, after Noah's flood, this huge global flood, how the animals repopulated the earth. And, you know, in this in this timeline that they have, if Noah's flood was like 4,500 years ago, then somehow, you know, these animals have to make it to... Australia and North America. How does that happen? It's got to happen quickly. And like there's no fossil record of these animals. Like there's no um, kangaroo fossils that have been found in like the Middle East. So how did they get there? And so this, this presentation basically states that there were these land masses, like vegetative masses and floats where the animals found themselves upon and then via the ocean currents they quickly very quickly made their way to all of these other continents and so like you know my my son and I are trying to talk about this and trying to figure out and I'm and I'm I don't really buy into young earth creationism but I know that I'm supposed to be a good homeschool mom and like direct him this way Mm. and so like I'm reading it to him and I'm kind of like can't you see how that could work like don't doesn't that make sense and he's just like no this doesn't make any sense to me no so you know i'm like shrugging my shoulders and like well that's what they that's what they say Um, and that just kind of propelled him you know like he was He's a really smart kid and was always asking questions. That just propelled him on this journey to start reading all these religious books. He read the Quran. He read like Mein Kampf too, but he read the Bible multiple times. He started he's twelve, listening. Yeah, he's
0: 12 years old. I know. Are you kidding me? He's twelve years old he's reading the Quran to try to corroborate what's now being stated at the Creation Museum. This is incredible.
1: He my son is like my hero. Uh-huh. He's my hero. I got him this cute little, a friend of mine makes these like little Yoda thingies and he loves Star Wars. And so you can like put like any, any, um, whatever you want Yoda to say. Mm -hmm. And I got him one that said like, you are my hero. Like, and, and, you know, like there, I was not a great mom during this time because Mm -hmm. I was really thrown off kilter by these questions because it, The truth should come back to showing that this worldview is true. So I was, I you know, made him go to church. I made him read the Bible and still do these, you know, my unschooling ways that I had lived up to that point was like, you gotta equal out this study when you listen to Bart Ehrman versus William Lane Craig. You also got, you know, like you gotta be reading the Bible anyway. I was very caught off guard and I was not kind to him often. I remember um, this knockdown drag out fight that we had where I was uh, angry with him for continuing to, to do this research and read these books by Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris. And I was just, ah! But, but my husband, but my husband showed up in a big, big way. And they um, went on this camping trip every summer and it was about time for this camping trip. And so my husband says to Josh, he's like, why don't you download some of those debates, you know, on at the time onto CDs and we'll listen to them as we drive down to the Smoky Mountains for camping. And so my husband got back from that week long trip and he's like, Leah. Josh, there's some really great arguments that these guys are bringing to the table here in these debates. Like, I think we need to listen to Josh. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't, it took me, it probably took me about two years before I felt comfortable diving into some of the conversations and the resources that they, that they had been diving into.
0: Mm. You know, I want to like slow one thing down and kind of connect back to you on one level, because on one, one level, I see that the that it's almost like when you talk, I, I sense that you judge the former you, and 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 I'm sitting in admiration of who you are, not because of what you had to do, but we don't define ourselves by what we've done. We define ourselves in mm. the moments when we're in adversity and how we address it. So mm. you're looking at what you haven't, what you didn't do, and I'm looking at what you had to do make it to where you are today and that's amazing mm. so so yeah. in some weird way i almost feel like your focus is sadly on the thing where like you were 17 when you went to college you needed or whatever the age was you wanted identity mm-hmm. we all want that hopefully yeah. you don't get stuck in drugs or in bad patterns but in some weird way it's almost like it i would even say look at how little time it took you to make peace with the thing as opposed to you could have died. You could have been on your death, but I've seen some people go that long and say, Oh my God, I lost my life. And it's really, you, you, you just allowed yourself to move through this. And I just wanted to just to make sure that we focused on the beautiful part on not the part where there's you were a bad, bad (laughs) person. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's tough. I'm currently working with a, a religious therapy specialist, Uh, counselor right now because I am caught up on that. I have so many regrets about um, primarily the way that I treated Josh during those years, you know, that I was unable to just welcome all of those questions and, and do as my husband did and like even today he's a young adult today you know he's 24 today and like we're not as close we don't have as an intimate intimate relationship as i would like and i blame a lot of that on these years that were so difficult for us and you know and where i didn't show up in my best um as his mom and we we we've had some conversations about it you know and i've asked his forgiveness and and he seems to really understand it well but it's still a matter of me um, learning how to forgive myself, you know, and some days I do a great job, you know, so, but then when I think about, you know, the, some of those memories and, and my inability to enter into his world um, in a way that I would have been proud of, you know, um, it's hard.
0: Well, let's say this, you've given, you've given Josh the opportunity as we, it that, that was, we all get, is what's the thing in life we need to make peace with in ourselves so that we can heighten our consciousness? And I can guarantee you the people that have the most stable lives are not interesting to be around at all.
1: Yeah. <laughs> True story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, um, Bolalong uh, is stating a lot of things. I'm not going to put them on because I'm on my phone and I'm worried if I press buttons, it's going to make uh, re- real messes. <laughs> but obviously, he, we already knew that he was not going to be fond of the creation museum, as he calls it a scam. But he says, this is an amazing son you have, Leah. I only started reading the Bible multiple times when I was 17. So Bolalong is in South Africa. He also Mm -hmm. um, is is clearly left, and he's had a very bad experience. And he also says, I love Josh. I love this courage. This is really beautiful.
2: Same. Yeah. Same.
1: He's pretty dynamic.
2: We have a comment from New Wonderland. And he says, it must take a lot of mental fortitude to make the leap from religion to being an atheist or non-believer, wondering how you found or finding the faith in yourself or in life, which you found in religion. Mm. Mm,
1: good question. Beautiful. Yeah, it's been a challenge, you know, to um, to find a new community, you know, to find other people who think similarly to I do that who have been, but I tell you, I mean, Cass Midgley and the Everyone's Agnostic podcast, that was like, that was like life for me. Those years where I was deconverting and I had no one. Um, I, when I started reading and looking into these resources that Josh and my husband had recommended, I didn't tell them. Like, I I didn't want them to know that I was starting down this journey too. Like it was, I did it all by myself. And so I didn't have, I didn't have a local community. I wasn't talking to anybody. But I found people online who had gone through similar situations that I did. And so I've been able to to have mentors in that field who have gone who are ahead of me in that process. And um, I've been really fortunate in um, in our Cincinnati area as I started a women's group. Women Beyond Faith and our group, where we met regularly to kind of talk with other women who had gone through similar journeys. I started a podcast called Women Beyond Faith, where we're doing just that, providing spaces for women to tell their stories. And we have a pretty neat little humanist community in Cincinnati. Interestingly, um, Tony Campolo, who was one of the guys responsible for my first Doubt, as a Christian, his son lives in Cincinnati, Bart Campolo, and Bart is a deconverted evangelical Christian. And Bart and I have been leaders of a humanist community in Cincinnati for the last four years or so. So um, I have been able to rebuild my security as a human being and as a woman um, slowly, but I have had amazing people that I have been able to surround myself with that have helped me to encourage me in that in that journey. And, um, but it's, it's a struggle even like days when I have to make a tough decision where I would have just prayed about it and felt like God was directing me one way or the other. Now I have to make the, I am fully responsible for making these decisions. I mean, I was then too. I just didn't know it, but like, it's, it's hard sometimes where sometimes I wish that there were some kind of, you know, guy up there in the sky that somehow cared and gave a shit about what I want to do and was directing me. But, um, it's, I'm having fun practicing learning how to do that, you know I'm good, and my counselor is a good mm-hmm. she's so good for me, my therapist, my religious trauma therapist, in reminding me that unlike Christianity, where there was often one right answer and one wrong answer, life doesn't work that way there's there's a plethora of answers yeah. and and like I get to choose, you know, and maybe I make a maybe I make a mistake, but it doesn't really matter. You know, I just learn from that and move on. And um so I it's, I'm still a work in progress.
2: And you're still healing. Yeah. Like yeah. the the idea that you need to be any different than what you are right now. Yeah. It's part it's part of the healing pros. And I mm-hmm. even see that you being on the podcast right now, talking and daring to share. Yeah. So, you know,
0: the the one thing that Caught me when, when you were when you were talking you were discussing how it evolved with your husband mm-hmm. there was some things that, that it was interesting because I really I, I, I always thought that leaving religion was leaving the groups and the beliefs and I neglected that there was a, an indoctrination that occurred that now you have to sort of wean yourself off of mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm wondering like how is that process for you
1: uh, there were a number of years when I was still in the church that I wanted to go back to school. You know, like my like I career post kids, um, and my husband would would be like, uh, "You don't need to do that now." You know, like we're we're good, money's fine. You know, we're we're good. Like it, it's it e- would be easier if you didn't do that right now. And I'd be like, "Yeah, good good point. Okay." And so that, that never really went away. And my husband's very frugal, you know, and uh, and so he's the first thing he's always thinking about is dollar signs. How much is that gonna cost me? So there came a point after I had deconverted where I was just, I'm going back to school. I'm starting, I've got my classes registered. I'm starting January the 7th. You know, you're, I'm not asking your permission. This is what I am doing. That was unusual in our relationship. You know, typically it would be a, let's talk about this. And he often had the, his default was what we ended up. And he, he never was like a controlling kind of a husband at all. I often would be the one like, okay, we can, we can do that. That's fine. So that's a way how we spend our money. Now that I have a a job is a way that I'm showing up. Um, I started traveling and vacationing on my own without him. Yeah. So like, I'm I am going to Europe with a friend, and uh, my first one of my first trips to Europe with a friend. Well, actually, this was by myself when I was in. I went to a number of places by myself, but um, I went on a oh a pilgrimage to the Geological Society of London, yeah. which is one of my favorite places because, like, one of my biggest. Uh, I don't know, not mentors, but kind of, he's like a geologist, like William Smith is like the um, the the, geo- the modern geology, he's like from the 1800s. Anyway, long story short, he used to draw these like huge maps of geology and the different strata where the different fossils were formed. Because once I realized for sure that young earth creationism was all BS, I started researching about real geology. So I took a I took a pilgrimage to London to this guy's to see his map and it's like hidden behind all of these like curtains and so mm. you show up at this society into the lobby and you tell them you want to see William Smith's map and like mm. they go up there and you stand on this platform and they like pull that they draw the curtains oh. and then here comes his this map that he drew in like 18 whatever 40 yeah. or something so like things like, I'm just taking back my independence. I'm not asking him to go travel, you know, I'm traveling. I'm going to be in Paris by myself for the weekend, you know, and that freedom. And I know it. it's probably a little unsettling for him. At least it was early on.
0: Well, you do if you're doing that in the same time talking about polygamy then clearly he's going to be like wow this isn't so comfortable you know
1: yeah true yeah. i mean i think he trusts me but you never know yeah yeah
0: the french men, you can't you can't true, uh, yeah. true. <laughs> uh,
2: it, it 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 sounds like an act of love love. Yeah, it does
1: he's really given me a lot of space mm. like i'm not always kind to him i'll mm. curse him out because i could never do that you know, before mm. I'm not always kind when I speak to him about his family, about his parents. So it is an, it's a huge act of love. He's given me a lot of space to kind of try to re- recreate or figure out who, who I am again.
0: You know what yeah. I find f- fascinating is that he, if I look at it from like the, the pendulum, he kind of didn't need as much energy to get out. So he didn't have to swing back as far. But you were like, you were so far in, it's almost like now you have to swing all the way back to get to feel like you're getting your freedom back. You know, there's that that kind of back and forth thing we were discussing.
2: Yeah, it's true. I, I just see Leah, that you are catching up with yourself. Mm. <laughs> I, I was a drug addict for 10 years. So when I came out of the addiction, mm. I also had to swing the other way. Mm-hmm. And I went completely mm-hmm. into health, martial arts, fighting sports, meditation. But but in a way, I had to do that. Mm-hmm. I, like it wasn't even a choice. Like mm-hmm. I spent most of my childhood feeling suppressed, not being able to express, mm-hmm. numbing myself for ten years. Mm-hmm. So in a way, once I found my voice at, at the age of twenty five, mm-hmm. there was no filters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm.
1: Yep, I can relate to that. I'm newly employed, you know, like I just graduated with a master's degree in nursing and I'm a, I'm a nurse now and I'm working for the first time in over 20 years.
2: Wow.
1: I don't put up with anybody's bullshit. I, I just, I haven't had to, and I don't. And now I'm in an environment where I have bosses and supervisors and co coworkers. And I'm not sure how well that's, I'm going to fare in that environment. Yeah. Because I'm like, what? this is BS. Why are we doing this? Or who the hell do you think you are? So I know I need to learn how to curb my...
2: Yeah, enthusiasm.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not- in a healthy manner. but um,
2: Not to sabotage everything that you're trying to create. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Isn't it funny, though? Because it's like now you saw behind the curtain, you kind of see people are full of shit a lot of the time. <laughs> and now you're like, okay, so now your authority... What gives you this authority? What, what? That's a bad decision. I'm not going to tolerate that. Like everything you had to like make peace with that, that other people would maybe compromise on because they got a mortgage and they live in fear and all that stuff. It's uh, mm-hmm. you were you said something earlier. You said you were part of groups now that are supporting other groups of individuals leaving the evangelical church. Now I thought to myself when you said that my stomach dropped a little bit because I'm like, oh you've got to be like an enemy of the state. Like there's got to be people that really are like, like hunting for you because not only did you leave, but now you are the, the, the pioneer of supporting others to do the same. So how is that?
1: It's tough. Some days, I mean, um, you get hate mail. Not, not usually. Okay. I mean, my mother-in-law, <laughs> but that's not, that's not, nothing's changed really there in the last Two decades, but um yeah, it's 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 difficult because oftentimes when people leave faith, like they lose their family. You know, like mm-hmm. I have plenty of friends and and folks in my life who have lost relationships with their parents or with their spouses. Like it it's can be a total shit show. Mm-hmm. And so you do want to tread lightly in encouraging folks to leave religion. And I'm never um I'm more about having people ask the questions to not be afraid about asking the questions and um, making the inquiries but I know I know folks personally who have chosen to go back into the church because that's where their community is that's where their support groups are that that leaves um, less damage in their relationships with their families. I feel like the biggest piece that I have to offer is a listening ear. You know, like in our local community, just to be that person that people can kind of hash out what it is they're thinking or feeling. And also like um, the podcast that I do, because oftentimes it's the first time that women, these women have been able to kind of put their story together. Like they're thinking through what happened. And I remember when I first shared my story, that was so therapeutic for me because oftentimes as you're going through it, you're not thinking about all of the hard, you know, and all of the pain or all the joy necessarily. And so providing a space where these women can like be on the show and share their story. It is, it's just, and like, I, I mean, I'm an empath sometimes on steroids, but I just love being able to hear other women's stories and giving them a space to start finding their voices, you know, because we have, as women in the evangelical churches, often been quelched and squelched, and and so um, I don't get a whole lot of hate mail, though, occasionally, but yeah. That's beautiful. I welcome it, I guess. If I get it, I'll I'll welcome it and hopefully have a quality conversation with whomever that is that's sending it my way. Yeah.
2: Um I have a question. Like if you look at back at your grandparents from this scope, do you still see the same uh, view or wow. do, you, do you catch any um like glimpses of ooh, she actually did that?
1: <laughs> yeah. There when I was a young adult, I discovered all of this shit that was going on behind the scenes at my grandparents house so this semblance of peace that i felt as a child was just a facade there was all kinds of crazy inappropriate things that were happening um, behind closed doors and so so before while i was still in the church you know that 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 those pieces came to me. And so I had to do like a, a rewiring a restructuring of the understanding of what what transpired there. Now as a an atheist slash humanist, it makes a whole lot of sense to me on why those things were allowed to happen. They believe they had this cover of protection in their home away from demonic influences and that was not the case. And so um, most of my dad's family is still very religious to this day. Um, I don't see them a whole lot because I live um, eight hours away from any of them, and I don't visit as much these days because it is hard. Mm -hmm. And really, they don't have any interest in really making any inquiries about why I am where I am today. It's more of they just want to continue to evangelize me to come back to the fold so I, it's it's kind of a boundary I've set up where that's not a, that's not a space that I want to put myself into. Like, yeah. if you're not genuinely interested in me and asking me questions about what led me to this transition yeah. in our family, I really don't have any interest in being in relationship with you. It's sad. It's hard. But
0: Yeah, I think we've heard a lot of that when we talked, especially with uh, uh, some of the people that have discussed the Mormon church, where when you get written out of the book, Mm. they can't see you in the afterlife so basically it's this intense pressure that one has that hey if you're written out of the book then basically after we die we'll never meet again so there's this weird amazing pressure that's put on an individual that yeah it, it uh, Lung, uh he's mentioned that he says the losing family is the biggest weak point about religion why go back where you are held ransom yes i know so yeah. true when I was in junior high school, one of the priests was molesting the kids. And I was one of the altar boys at that time. He hugged me for extended periods of time, but I never felt molested. Although I'm sure by definition, you know, that would be what we'd call it. But um, but what happened was, was they shipped him off to Italy and then he got away with it. And he was put in another church and he molested more kids. So... I remember at the time they, they told uh, my mom uh, that she was not allowed to speak about this. Otherwise she would be excommunicated from the church. So in a, and in this way, the church was really uh, like support, you know, covering its own ass in the Mm -hmm. end. And, um, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, when people discuss or when I'm talking about why I'm not attracted to religion, because of those young years, I, I knew at that time that this was going on, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and and, but my mm-hmm. young mind knew that this mm-hmm. was wrong, and that there was something that was really like horrible. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's tough yeah. stuff. Yeah. the The man that married my husband and I was a priest from uh, who was a mentor of my husband's when my husband was in high school, and a few years after our wedding, he was accused of molesting young boys. Yeah. In the town my husband grew up in and my husband doesn't have any recollection of anything inappropriate happening with him but uh but my in-laws they don't even they can't even talk about it don't even want to acknowledge it you know and that's just in my opinion that's just such a harmful state of mind to be in because what happens more kids end up getting molested you know at the next place or whatever but yeah those are the those are some of the obvious pieces when i look at when i can equate that religion is harmful. There was
0: one question that I had, and we're over time, so I do want to be cautious, but Neil van der Lange also, uh, he asked it in his own way. I I can barely read it because it's so small
2: on my screen. (laughs) What would you say were the most decisive factors, arguments that pulled you over the line into becoming an atheist?
0: Hmm. Uh,
2: Was it a very specific moment of clarity on one? or more of of a gradual conversation. And I'd like
0: to interrupt that question and ask one question in, in Neil's question, he's already making the assumption that you're an atheist. And I'm wondering if you are an atheist. So I didn't want you to defend that if that wasn't even the case.
1: Hmm. I would say, yes, I for sure am an atheist. Mm -hmm. I know that's kind of a, um, I have no evidence that there is a God. I mean, And uh, I think it's important because one of the reasons, one of the decisive factors in pulling me over the line was I was taught in the church that if you're not a Christian person, there can be no good within you. You know, the only good that people have within them is the the goodness that God gives to them. Mm -hmm. And so that would have included my mom when I was a Christian because she was not a believer. And my mom was one of the most Christian people I knew, even though she wasn't a Christian. She gave and gave and, and loved on people. And then my son and my husband, when they left faith, like, I, what are they going to turn into now that they don't have God? You know, and they were still nice, yeah. kind, good
0: people. What, what, why is it that everyone assumes that if you're an atheist, then all of a sudden you'll be morally corrupt? I don't get that. That's I don't just know. The...
1: eating babies for lunch. Yeah, you know, crazy. murdering all of the people. Yeah. But I, I listened to podcasts by folks who were nonbelievers, atheists. When I and um, I listened to debates by people who were atheists, and I can remember the first time I heard Bart Ehrman's voice. Bart Ehrman's like you know again one of my heroes, but um, he's this former pastor who studied the new old new testament and and is no longer a believer and when i first listened to a podcast or i guess it would have been a debate back then and i pushed play and i heard his voice coming across across the audio he was like this sweet gentle spirited soul and i was like he sounds really nice like he's an he's an atheist too like so it was this This piece of realizing, the realization that you don't have to have God to be a kind, good person.
0: You know who my favorite atheist is? It's Ricky Gervais. Love him. (laughs) And there was the one line when he had the interview on the talk show, and he said, we've proven 3,999 religions to be wrong, so I'm just asking you to believe (laughs) one more.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's a favorite of mine.
0: He's yeah. a favorite.
1: And like Penn Gillette. do you guys know Penn Gillette, Penn right, and yeah. Teller? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're magicians in Vegas and they're, he's an, Penn is an outspoken atheist and libertarian, you know, as am I politically. And um, I love him. Just yeah. love him. He's kind and good. He's not killing anybody. He's not eating babies for lunch. He's just asking questions. And so yeah. I think that was a huge piece for me. <laughs> yeah. Thank
0: you. Thank you for being with us. It was really incredible. Thanks for to having here. me.
1: Pleasure meeting you. All yeah,
0: right. You.
1: Bye. Bye. Thank you.
0: Hey, Bambos.
2: Hello, wow. Mr. Shaila. That was really sweet. I'm, I'm in complete awe. Me too. I, there was a moment where we didn't have to talk anymore as far as I was concerned. Just being with her was... Enough to feel everything:
0: Yeah, I sit in so much admiration for people who had to overcome something which seems so arbitrary because one could continue to have a religion and keep that religion because it's so much more convenient on so many levels. So for her to take the step to move out of it and then deal with all the repercussions from that is just it's just incredible. And she still is, as we heard yes. right.
2: Rediscovering her identity, yeah,
0: yeah, and uh, and, I, and I almost not even rediscovering it, It's almost like she, it's now, it's like discovering for the first time. It sounds like you know.
2: I'm 17 years old. Yeah, <laughs> again, again, yeah. I mean, I mean, what were the choices if she stayed in the religion, she, and if she would decide to like close her eyes, then what would be the relationship with her and her son? Most importantly,
0: yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I would say like like what we always say, heal yourself first and then see if you can build a relationship with another. So in some ways, as, as I heard Leah speak, and, and it became more and more apparent that she's still healing the relationship in herself. So in some ways, <laughs> I see the relationship with the son is a natural consequence of her making more and more peace. Because as, as she was describing her life, I, I really could resonate with the fact that she's still undergoing a great amount of change, and uh, and and I can imagine that can't be easy for her son either, right? Yeah. So it was almost like he he, he 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 got the mom now that he would have wanted to have when he was twelve. So now he's sort of like it's like a staggering of how is she going to develop to a place where they kind of meet each other as adults again, right? And I think that's what happens in life, a, a lot of times the kids have an expectation of a parent it's not fulfilled there's resentment that the that kid has a child themselves and they see how hard it is and then all of a sudden you begin to have a different relationship yeah so yeah it's, it's a journey it's a journey well what a great show that was it's a wonderful chaos we like
1: it down. That-